Good morning, everybody. Good morning. 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 We just had a very, very brief reading. For those who are listening back on the tape, it was Proverbs chapter 23, verses 19 to 21. Um, so, today's sin is gluttony. And as we, as Mark said, we are going for a picnic in the park so we can all indulge in gluttony if we want to. But I suggest we don't, because it's not just about the food, is it? Um, So this picture here shows the classic idea of gluttony. And you might think that, well, gluttony isn't too much of a problem, really. I mean, surely people should be allowed to indulge in some extra food if they want to. Why can't they? Um, Today, I hope to show you that gluttony is a far wider problem than just somebody who eats too much. Because we've all overindulged sometimes, hopefully not to the extent that this guy has. Um, but um, it's, it's a, a much wider problem than that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at what gluttony is, um, why <laughs> the reading from Proverbs, I personally didn't find it all that inspiring, to be honest, but, uh, you know, it's, it's part of the Bible, so we've got to read it. Um, but uh, uh, but the, the reading from Proverbs has a very narrow view of what gluttony actually is. Um, and also what we can do to try and stop gluttony in its tracks. And I don't, I don't want to make anybody feel guilty throughout this, but you might suddenly think about something in your life that, is that could actually be called gluttony, even though you've maybe never actually thought of it that way before. And as I say, I don't want to pile on the guilt. What we want to do out of this is get people out of it and stop them heading down uh, the track to gluttony in its worst form. So, until, I I mean, we've been through a few of the seven deadly sins, and until I started looking into this today, um, I actually thought there wasn't much difference between gluttony and greed, um, which is another of the seven deadly deadly sins, and which we've already covered. There's an overlap, certainly, but they're not the same thing. Does anybody know what the difference is? That's that's one way of looking at it. Um, one of the things, uh, as I say, I, I, I came from a complete standpoint of ignorance when I started looking this up. Um, so, what we uh, th- there's there's actually a specific difference between greed and gluttony, um, and the difference. Gluttony is considered to be overindulgence, as, as Claudia said, but it is in, it's overindulgence in something which is otherwise normal or necessary. So, for example, food in the right quantities is very, very good for us. Um, but once it gets beyond that, um, and, and so gluttony is considered to be overindulgence, a lack of self-control. Whereas greed, which we covered the other week, is keeping what you have when it would be better to give it away. It's about lack of generosity, if you like. It's about wanting more, more, more for me and less, less, less for everybody else and not caring that your next-door neighbour or the guy on the other side of the world has nothing while you have everything. So that's the idea. 
Gluttony is actually lack of self-control, overindulgence in something which is normal or necessary. Um, and interestingly enough, um, and John was telling me this uh, all about this the other day because he went into Pope Gregory and stuff and who wrote the list down. Um, uh, when the list was first put down, gluttony was considered to be the most important, the one at the top of the seven deadly sins, and it was always listed first. Um, and the reason for that is you can actually see that a lack of self-control can actually impact on all the other things we've been dis discussing as well. Um, so the, but the most difficult thing about gluttony is that all the problems included in it um, are essential things which are good in their own right. Giving up something that you need to have is challenging and it's made even more difficult by our 24-hour society. There was a time many moons ago when I was a young girl when you couldn't buy things late at night. And you might have been able to in Liverpool, I doubt it even then. But certainly where I lived, you couldn't buy things virtually over the whole weekend. You couldn't just pop out and get another big packet of, super packet of crisps or anything. They didn't even make crisps in those packets then. Um, but it's very, very easy, particularly if we think about food, because it's so available. So what I thought I'd look at was what is considered necessary for life. Now, you don't actually have to go into this in great detail, but a guy called Maslow wrote his hierarchy of needs, which is the things that we need to survive. Um, and the, the things at the bottom of the pyramid that he, or the triangle that he uh, prepared, are the things that we absolutely can't do without. We can't do without, as human beings, uh, uh, we can't do without air, water and food. We have to have them. And being in the health service, the way we look at it in the health service, you can manage three minutes without air, three days without food, sorry, three days without water, 30 days without food. So it's the rule of three. Three minutes without air, three days without water, 30 days without food, and you are dead. And usually when people survive longer than that, it's because they've had a tiny amount of something coming into them and they've managed to survive. But that's the basic rule. The other, hierarchy, the other things in the hierarchy of need that are very, very basic to human survival, you need to have somewhere to shelter to keep the rain off or, or the weather off. It could be burning sun for that matter. You need to have clothing to cover your body because we weren't. I look at my, our cat sometimes and think she's all lovely and he's all lovely and furry all over. He doesn't have to get dressed in the morning or anything like that. He just looks cool, you know. And there's me. Um, so we also need to have some clothing to cover up ourselves, not just for modesty, but because it keeps us warm or it shelters us or it, 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 whatever. And we also need to have sleep. Um, and the thing about these necessities of life, it's when we get obsessed with them that our needs impinge on other people's lives and then it becomes dangerous. An unhealthy obsession with any of these is what causes the problem. It's not the food itself, it's how we consider the food, how we think about it, how long we spend thinking about it a day before we actually eat it, how much we eat when we do. Um, so, and, and one of the things that I do know is that like all of the sins, the seven deadly sins, they all, they're not just personal, they have an effect on the people around us.
We tend to assume that good quality air to breathe is a human or a planetary right, which no one can take away. Um, And that's true. We can go out there. I mean, we know sometimes that the air quality in Liverpool isn't the best, but we're not in the situation. I don't know which particular city this is, but you can see that the badness of the air hanging in the air and people have to breathe that air and they're struggling and it's causing all sorts of illnesses. And there are cities in the world like La Paz, I think it is, where car use is restricted to three days a week. So if you have a car of a certain registration or number plate, then you can only use it three days a week to try and reduce car usage. And then another group of people will use it on the other days of the week. And that's fine. And it can reduce car use. But what do rich people do? They have two cars. And that's when it starts to become a problem. That's not so much... Um, gluttony as greed because they can have what they want they don't care and what's more they don't live down in the city they live up in the hills where the air is fresh Um, so that's a, a lack of consideration so that's probably more like greed but get down to something which is perhaps known to cause some problems now we tend to think gluttony in, t- in terms of water It's pretty impossible. You can't really drink more than you need. I mean, there are some medical conditions where people consume more water than is good for them. And that's called polydipsia, and it can be for all sorts of reasons. Uh, Usually it's hormone imbalances, or it can be due to mental illness. Um, But the problem with water lies in sometimes people have an obsession with getting a better quality of water than any, anyone else. I know someone who says, oh, I can't drink tap water. I have to drink this particular brand of bottled water. From a human survival point of view, that is clearly rubbish, but that is what his head tells him. And, this, the, and you know, then we go through the, oh, oh, I have to have it filtered or I have to have this. I mean, my view has always been, you know, a large proportion of the world is filtering the big bits out of its water and you're worried about things you can't actually see here. You know, and it perhaps has got a slightly different taste. Um, But, you know, that's his particular hang-up. And he spends quite a lot of time trying to purchase the right water for him to... All of which, to me, seems completely unnecessary. But I'm not where he is. Um... And the trouble is when some people overuse water, particularly in places where water is scarce, that means other people don't have enough to meet their basic needs. We were talking recently uh, to a guy who runs the Tent of Nations in the uh, Palestinian-occupied territory. We we visited it a few years ago. Um, And his farm, which his family have had land rights to for over 150 years and for many generations before that, is surrounded by Israeli settlements and the water to his farm which he's trying to produce food on has been cut off whereas the surrounding Israeli settlers flaunt having swimming pools they're flaunting their excess that is a sense that is almost a a sense of gluttony in fact 26% of the population i.e. the non-Jews in Israel only have access to 2% of the water. And John and I have visited twice, um, and it's very apparent as you travel uh, through the separation wall, when you travel from the Israeli side to the um, Palestinian side, 
On the Israeli side, there is masses of, re- of, of, of fresh produce. You've, you've almost got food to throw away on the Israeli side. And when you go to the Palestinian side, you have to eat pickles because they only have one, um, pro- uh, one crop a year and it has to be preserved. And it's quite marked when you go from one side to the other because they're not allowed access to water. That is a kind of gluttony, that is a kind of greed, and it's used for political purposes. And I read a book back in 1976 which said that most of the wars of the future will be fought over uneven distribution of water. Um, And climate change makes the, the, the shortages more severe. And I couldn't help but feel in that first song, I hope that the lions aren't going weak and hungry because we've used, messed up the planet and they haven't got any water or any food. That's the way I think, I'm afraid. On to food. Food is good. Food sustains our bodies, gives pleasure, enriches our lives together. That's why we're having a picnic this afternoon because food makes it easier to relax and get to know one another and to share time together. And food is central to our faith. Jesus did a lot of his teaching around meal tables. Just think of them all. Lots of situations where he was sitting having a meal with his friends or with other people who invited him and he did his teaching there. Um, So food is a great way to get people to sit down and talk about important stuff, maybe after the plates have been cleared away. And one of the things that Jesus did was actually a very simple meal we, we don't do it formally in, in this church, but um, we do do it, um, was to actually remember what he told us at the Last Supper, the last meal he had with his disciples before he went for crucifixion. So we, we, we eat the bread and we eat the wine and we remember Jesus. Food runs through the very veins of our faith. But gluttony, gluttony is about something else. Gluttony is about an unhealthy obsession with food. Thoughts about food get out of all proportion. And that can mean both overindulging ourselves and it can also be depriving ourselves. Um, And in some cases, that that can end up as various eating disorders. Um, When I talk about how we can deal with this, I'm not talking about the really complicated issues that people have, which are actual illnesses. Um, Though sometimes some of the things that I mentioned um, might help. Um, But the picture I showed you at the beginning of this talk was of somebody who was basically eating themselves to death. And um, obsession with reducing food intake or over-specifying food is also a form of gluttony. I suspect we've all invited people for dinner and found out there's a nightmare of things that they can and can't eat and they won't have, you know, and you plan something and they say, oh, did I not tell you I can't eat tomatoes? And you think, oh, what am I going to do now? Um, I'm not saying that that's, uh, they could, might have a genuine allergy, but you just think sometimes. So I, I'm actually a veggie, but I, you know, if, if I try not to make a fuss. I'll happily eat the veg and the bit of gravy and forgo the main bit of the meal if necessary, uh, rather than make a fuss. Um, but some people will be very specific about their needs and they can actually cause problems for other people, people who are trying to cater for them. So gluttony can be all about, all about eating too much and pouring it in, or it can also be about trying to be very um, abstemious and trying to be very careful and trying to be very picky about food. Um, and it's all about over-obsessing over, over about food itself. 
shelter. This is, I think, is a horrific picture. Um, I think it was taken in India. It was published in the Guardian newspaper and talking about the massive inequalities of the haves and the have-nots. The haves, obviously, are on the right-hand side of this picture, the have-nots. So you've got all these sumptuous dwellings on the right-hand side. This is more than just shelter. This is consumption at, at its absolute pinnacle, really. Um, and next door to them are slums where they don't have any power and don't have any running water. I don't know what sort of mind you have to have to be able to live on the right-hand side of this photo and ignore the people on the left-hand side. I just find that incredibly shocking. Um, so the people who've got these extraordinary dwellings have gone way beyond just putting a roof over their heads. They're filling a much deeper need than that inside themselves. And you might think, well, I'm not in that, I'm not in that, I'm not in that sphere at all. You know, we're happy with the house we've got and whatever. Uh, there's a lot of... <laughs> I, I, won't, no, I won't tell you that story because it it's going to make them sad. But the thing about us, I mean, we might still keep wanting to buy more and more stuff for our homes. And that's almost as bad, stuff that we don't need. My colleague Angie, a few years ago, um, she was talking about getting a new kitchen. And I said, I thought you'd only just had your kitchen done. And she said, well, there's a scratch on the sink now. And um, she said, to be honest, if I put a washing up bowl over the top of it, I can't see it, but I know it's there. So she was going to get her whole kitchen redone. That is a dangerous obsession, if you ask me. Um, it means there's something missing inside her, something that's messed up inside her that says, I know that that scratch is there, even though nobody else can even see it and hardly anybody comes to my house anyway, and I'm going to get my kitchen redone for several thousand pounds. We get to clothing, again, absolutely essential. But our obsession with fashion and needing the next new thing is taking basic need to a whole new level. If ever I watch a quiz show on TV, the presenter will often ask people what they plan to do with the money that they win. I'm amazed by how often people say, oh, I'd like a really expensive pair of shoes or one of those really posh handbags. One of my technicians at work who didn't really earn all that much um, with her first salary bought a pair of, I don't know whether it was Jimmy Choo or Louis Vuitton or whoever it was, um, shoes. They cost £600. She didn't earn anything really. They cost £600. They had incredibly high heels. She was already a tall woman. I shouldn't think she could even possibly ever wear them, but she had to have them. It's this, it's, it's this need, this essential thing that people must have that makes no sense at all. So, I mean, and the, but, I mean even if we're not in that sphere where this lass is of getting posh shoes all the time, Mostly when we buy shoe, clothes, we want them to look good, but basically be as cheap as possible, because we're not made of money, are we? But we do have to think about where they've come from and the people in the sweatshops who are making our clothes who need to be properly rewarded. So all the time we're buying stuff that isn't necessary and getting, people, getting the, the supermarkets to push down costs. I'm actually wearing a Tesco T-shirt, I must admit, so I'm probably part of the problem. Um, but uh, we, we need to think about the broader picture, really. So it's not just 
how much it, how much it costs, but it's how much we have and whether we need it all, and whether we could usefully just give some of it away. And that might be one of the things that we do to try and get on top of our issue with gluttony. So, gluttony is not just about food, as would be suggested by this picture. It's all about all kinds of basically healthy, necessary things that we can get obsessed with. But this man in this picture, who's basically living out his dream of stuffing his face with food, does he look a picture of health and happiness to you? He doesn't, does he? Is the food making him feel better? I doubt it. Is it sorting out his problems? No, it's not. His problem is the food itself. The thing that he thinks is going to cure his condition actually is the problem. So we look at our Bible reading from Proverbs 23. Listen, my son, and be wise, and set your heart on the right path. Do not join those who drink too much wine or gorge themselves on meat, for drunkards and gluttons become poor, and drowsiness clothes them in rags. And that's true. There's nothing I take issue with that. It's just that gluttony is a bigger picture than that because all of the things that he's doing, and he may even have to have somebody to look after him, get him into bed, get him out of bed, wipe his bum probably. Um, uh, He's doing harm to himself by behaving like that, but it affects all those people around him who are working hard, waiting on him, preparing the focus of his gluttony, his food, producing it on farms and probably not getting very well paid. And it also creates uh, unhappiness. Now, this, these people who are waiting on this particular guy might be doing quite well out of his leavings. That's fine. Um, but I do remember we, John and I visited a, a monastery community um, and we stayed there for a, a short while. In fact, we had to, it was on an island and we had to come back sooner than we intended to because the seas got rough and we wouldn't have been able to leave on time. Um, but... The interesting thing to me was that that it wasn't all harmony. You'd hope a monastery would be all harmony and love and God and all those sorts of things. But there were definite undercurrents in that uh, monastery or abbey or whatever it was called. Um, And I think one of the big problems was that they produced their own food. I don't know whether they were completely self-sufficient, but the people who worked on the food were little guys running around hoeing things and the guy who who was the chef or who the cook who was in the kitchen was about six foot five and huge he was massive and I can imagine that that would make people feel a bit unhappy I don't know about you but I can understand that that might cause so it's not only that he's he did uh, that this guy in the kitchen did harm to himself by overeating and probably shortening his his lifespan he was also because of his behavior and because he was taking more than his fair share he was upsetting the people around him who were working quite hard and it's a a really sad thing um that think often when when you're so, so obsessed with something you fail to see the people around you Basically, whatever type of gluttony we indulge in, it's basically a sign that something is missing from our lives. Um, So this guy, who I understand is some sort of um, comedian, um, said gluttony is an emotional escape. So it's not about the food specifically. It's a sign that something is eating us, that we are. So 
gluttony which is overindulgence, something which is otherwise normal or necessary, uh, in something which is either normal or necessary, is about lack of self-control, but it's a sign that something is missing from our lives. Gluttony is difficult to conquer because we're whatever we're addicted to is constantly available. It's a normal, healthy part of everyday life. But food or any of the essentials we've been talking about are all bound up with our spiritual and emotional health. Gluttony happens when the connection between food or whatever it is that we're talking about and its proper purpose in life is broken. I've got, I mean, I'd love crisps. I'd love to eat loads of crisps, but obviously you can't do that all the time. Um, but it's easy to think, well, the next packet of crisps will solve my problem for a couple of minutes. It doesn't. Um, the big problem is that you can't cut this stuff out of your life. You need them in the right quantities to survive. So how do you get back to a healthy level of consumption? How do you free yourself? One of the things you can do is use the Alcoholics Anonymous 12 Steps. I don't know if people are aware of these, but in the Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, um, I can't remember which year it started. It was in the 50s, I think. Um, and Alcoholics Anonymous was started by a Christian man. Um, and since then, they've actually reduced the word, the, the name God in, in the, the 12 Steps um, to a higher power and things. But actually, it specifically and blatantly said God can help you with any addiction you're suffering from. Now, alcoholism, Alcoholics Anonymous, alcoholism is not the same as gluttony because you can survive without alcohol. So to some people, that might seem difficult, but you can survive without alcohol. But there's 12 steps, and these, this is an abridged version because not all of them apply to what we're talking about here. But it's first of all is actually looking at yourself. Admit you're struggling with something. You know, if you're obsessed with going out late at night, I know I've been going a long time, Mark. He's looking at his watch, but, <laughs> but I mean, we, we were a bit ahead of schedule, weren't we, really? <laughs> um, so it's a, admit you're struggling, admit you've got a problem. You know, the fact that you need to go out to Tesco late at night and buy the same thing every night means you've got a problem. Tune into a greater power. And the, the, we're talking about God here, the, the power of Jesus Christ to change things. Accept that you can't control it on your own, that you need help. You need help from that higher power. You need help from the Holy Spirit. Talk to God and preferably another person that you trust about what's going on in your life. And they might think, oh, doing that's not a big problem. But if it's all you can think about, then it's a problem. So they might think, oh, you know, 15 packets of crisps a week isn't really a problem. That's not what I do. <laughs> but 15 packets of crisps a week is not a problem. Um, but if that's all you can think about and the big packets, then you need perhaps to uh, uh, persuade them that actually it is a problem. Talk to God. Make a decision that you want to change this thing and then ask God to help you with it. And I think sometimes telling other people helps you to do that, you know, um, because sometimes we don't want to let ourselves down in front of other people. And that can be an impetus rather than anything else. And keep on honestly reviewing where you're up to with it all. Um, we were talking before, and I can't stress... In enough how important talking to God in all this is we, our song we were singing before who the sun sets free is free indeed and Jesus Christ can help you
to be free from this stuff. And the last thing I just want to mention briefly is fasting. Fasting is a very well-established spiritual discipline in many faiths, including Christianity, including the followers of Jesus Christ. And particularly in our faith, often fasting occurs for a period of time before a planned celebration, like, for example, Lent, leading up to the celebration of Easter. And it's good to give up something in Lent that is actually important to you, rather than something that you can actually do without, because otherwise it doesn't really, really mean much. And I used to work with a lot of Muslims in my job when I, uh, when I was working in the health service, and I always admired them, because they, for Ramadan they fast from uh, both food and water um, f- during the days of um, daylight um, during Ramadan. And that takes a lot of doing. And they, they, I, I've talked to them quite often about how difficult it is. I, I have to confess, I can't fast because I'm on an insulin and that is, causes a problem. But I can give up certain things and that, that can still be a challenge. But the idea behind fasting is not to put yourself through it, not to create a problem. The idea behind fasting is that because you want something, there's always something popping up to say, I want whatever it is. And that's the time which you say, instead of going for that thing, I'll focus on God instead. So fasting is really a tool to to remind you to focus on God regularly through the day. So whenever you want to eat or whatever it is during your period of fasting, that should prompt you to think of God as the creator of all good things. But you might also think about the supply chain that gets you... Just think about where your ginger nut biscuit came from. Just think about the extraordinary journey and perhaps we would value them more. Um, But fasting should remind you to pray and help you to identify with the people that produce the food or whatever it is that you're fasting from. So, I mean, for example, the guy that I was talking about with the bottled water, he could try giving it up for a month. He probably won't die of it, that's for sure. Um, But it might... And the good thing about fasting is, I don't know, for the, I've certainly gone for quite long periods without food, and it makes you feel kind of clean inside. You haven't got all that clutter floating around, really. It makes you feel kind of better that you've actually achieved something, and achieving something is half the battle when you're trying to deal with some of these things. We're going to sing a song in a minute, which might seem not to be all that relevant, but there's... A, a verse in it which says, Lord, end our madness, carelessness, greed, make us content with the things that we need. And I think that's something to remember today. And it's something to focus on as we try to give up the behaviours that aren't good for us. So I'll just before I finish, I'll just pray. If we pray together. Dear Father God, help us to look honestly at ourselves. Not to be over judgmental but to be honest with ourselves help us to see if we're doing anything that harms our mental or physical health help us to find friendly support to help us deal with whatever it is and help us to come closer to you our loving father as we try to put things right amen